Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. All right, I'm going to break this off into our groups of three and four. And we're starting off this sermon with uh, sharing a story about a space, maybe like a place that you go to over and over again, or a tradition that is nostalgic, okay? And this is one of my favorite times of service, just being able to get to know the people around you and uh, share your story and hear theirs. All right, we'll do this for five minutes. There's a bunch of empty chairs in the front as well if you're looking for a chair. All right, hope you had a good time sharing your traditions and spaces that made you nostalgic. For me, being a good SoCal resident, it's definitely Disneyland. And I remember going when I was a kid, like five, six years old, and walking into Tomorrowland with the asteroid orbiter, you know, the, the rocket ships that go around that ring area. I was walking with my, my summer school program, so all my friends, my counselor, and I looked at this ride and I thought, I want to go on it, but I'm also afraid of not knowing how to redock on that arm. So <laughs> I thought you could like fly off. I thought you could like detach from the arm in your little rocket ship, and uh, I was gonna go home, pick up my little sister, because Disneyland was amazing, and fly back. But I'm like, man, matching the speed of your rocket with that arm sounds really complicated for a five-year-old, you know? You just never go to Disneyland the same way. When you're a kid and things are real to you, Disneyland is magical in a totally different way. So after that, we, we didn't go on that ride, because I was, I was very concerned, and then we walked over to Space Mountain. And I thought we were at a space station. I mean, there's a rocket ship in the middle of the line. So with, without trying to use imagination, I totally believed that we were going to go into space. I remember sitting next to my other little buddy. We're going up the rails, and the, the lights are flashing, right? And I'm like, we're going. This is it. We're going through the portal. We're going into outer space. We hit Saturn. We see all the stars. Luckily, we land safely, and I was like, just amazed, amazed that Disneyland could take me to outer space. And now, just a year ago, I remember sitting with Liam on the same ride. We're walking through uh, Space Mountain's corridors. I'm pointing out the spaceship, and I'm telling him, Liam, we're going to outer space. I wanted him to have the same magical journey as me, you know? I'm like, Liam, this is it. We're going to outer space. We sit down. He's a little nervous. I'm like, we're going up the ramp. I'm like, this is the portal. This is the portal. And he's like really excited. But then we hit all these spins. And coming down, he just starts crying, right? He's only four. And my wife's mad at me. She's like, it's not enough. You take him on a roller coaster that he's barely tall enough for. You have to tell him that you're leaving the earth, right? Is that what you want? And then Liam, when he gets really upset, he looks at me. And he says, 
do you want me to do this to my children? That's what he says when he's really mad at me. Like, you're making a general, generational impact here. Do you want me to do this to my children? I was thinking, yes, I do. I want to be grandpa, one seat back, watching Liam convince his son that they're going into outer space. Uh, I think about these moments of nostalgia that allow us to bring our past into our present and look at the future. These traditions where you sit in the same space, but you sat there for years. And your children will sit there as well. This is how the Jewish people thought of circumcision. Uh, Elizabeth gave birth to her baby. The neighbors and relatives came together on the eighth day. They were excited. They were joyful. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary had a play date with their babies jumping inside. And on the eighth day, they were going to circumcise the child as a way of dedicating this child to the Lord, saying that they're Jewish. They're going to worship Yahweh. And they're celebrating this moment. And in this moment, the parents are declaring the name of the child, his purpose, his destiny, marking their, their season in life. And when they're asking for um, the baby's name, Zachariah was still mute. So Elizabeth said, his name will be John. And this caused a lot of family drama, right? They said, there's no one amongst your relatives with that name. And they were upset with, with her because this was a name outside of their family, family lineage. They're used to the son be, having the same name as the father or honoring someone up the family tree. So they wanted to usurp her with Zechariah. They made signs to him. And so he ended up writing on the tablet, his name is John. John in Hebrew means the Lord has given grace. But beyond that, He's given a name outside of his family line because God is communicating that his ministry, his power, and his mission will be outside of his family line. Zechariah will do ministry in the temple, but John will do ministry in the wilderness. Zechariah will be amongst the religious, religious elite, but John will be an outcast, an exile outside of the religious system. Zechariah will wear priestly garments, but John will wear camel's hair. John will have a different mission and vision and purpose than his father. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth opened. His tongue is set free. He praises the Lord. Everyone stands in wonder. And he has nine months to think of what he is about to say. And just like Mary, he gives a song. It's possible that Luke synthesizes their prophetic message into a singable form, into verses with notes and lyrics. But this is what he says. He's filled with the Spirit, and he prophesies. But he prophesies in a different way than Mary. Mary does this personal, almost like sitting down, and she's reading her diary to you, how she was unseen, how in her society, women didn't mean that much. But God chose her. And she's going to birth the Messiah. It's very personal. It's, it's almost like being next to her, hearing her heart. Zechariah's song and prophecy is different. He goes big picture. He goes meta. And he talks about all these huge covenants that God has made with his people and that Jesus would be a fulfillment of those covenants. 
And John actually plays a very small role in this huge story, and Zechariah goes completely unmentioned. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to mark the different places where the covenant is stated and talk a little bit about each one. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So here is the Davidic covenant where God promises to David an everlasting kingdom out of his lineage. And then this metaphor of a horn being raised is speaking about an animal who's being aggressive. If you think about a bull or a rhino, as they raise their horn, they're saying that they're going to attack. They're on the offense. In this moment of Israel's history, they're totally defeated. They've been enveloped by the Roman Empire. But in David's time, they were invincible. They were a kingdom that couldn't be touched by its enemies. And Israel was waiting for that kingdom to be reestablished with David as king, or for David being the shadow of the great king who loves the Lord, who is a warrior, who is just. Next, we have the Abrahamic covenant. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We're going to double back to the covenant that God made with Abraham and spend an extended time there. In the next verse, 76, and you, my child, speaking about John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So in this last section, he talks about John's purpose as well as the coming Messiah. But again, Zechariah is looking at this large history and story of Israel and finding a place for John in it. And the story starts on Mount Moriah. On the next slide, we have Abraham walking Isaac up to be sacrificed. God gave that command to Abraham. He's going to bring them into the region of Moriah, and he's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, this is cruel and brutal, but back in those days, it was a common request of pagan gods to sacrifice your firstborn. So they make their way up, and as they're journeying, Isaac is carrying the wood, and, and he spoke up. He looks up at his father and he says, I have the wood to build the altar, but where is the sacrifice? And I, Abraham says this. He says, God will provide a lamb. And in his heart of hearts, he believes that God is going to give him a way out from sacrificing his own child. They continue up the mountain, and then Abraham binds Isaac, places him on the altar, and raises his knife to kill him which is an unfathomable feat um, as a father. But God stops him. He's, 
he sends an angel that says, Abraham, Abraham. He provides a ram for him to be killed and sacrificed, not a lamb. And then he says this. This is the covenant he makes with Abraham. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Sure, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is an expansion of the first covenant God makes with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Part of the expansion is God saying, I swear by myself. Meaning that there's nothing that this promise is dependent on. It's not your action. It won't be the action of your kids. It's just dependent on me and my character, meaning it's already done. And then he makes two promises, that his descendants will be numerous, that they'll possess a land, and secondly, that his offspring will bless the earth. And God pronounces this promise on Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is significant because it becomes the space that God goes back to over and over again. It becomes God's space mountain in Disneyland or your uh, comfy chair or baking cookies. Mount Moriah is the most significant place in history because not only does God pronounce these promises here, he fulfills them here. And he fulfills them in thousands of years showing that he's writing a story much bigger than each of us. In the next slide, 1,000 years later, Mount Moriah would become the city of David. When David becomes king, he stands on the place that Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, and he builds a city. He moves the Ark of the Covenant to this very city. And then he asks his servants to bring up wood in order to prepare for the temple being built. Just as Isaac brought up wood to prepare an altar, David's servants brought the best wood in the region up. He acquired it from another nation. And they lugged this wood up, not to build an altar, but to build a temple. And at this point, God has fulfilled the prophecy. There's a million and a half people. It's innumerable. These, this land has been defended and taken possession of by Israel. And it's the very space that God had proclaimed this prophecy to Abraham. Next, 2,000 years later, Jesus would be crucified on Mount Moriah, fulfilling that one of the offsprings of Abraham would bless the entire world, right? It's at his death that all of our sins are forgiven. It's at his death that we have eternal life. It's at his death that we have gateway into the kingdom of God. It's because of his death that we're gathered here. We are the nations being blessed by Jesus. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the foot of Mount Moriah. And the cross is on the other side of it. And Jesus walks towards the cross. He ascends the mountain in the same way that Abraham and Isaac did. In the next slide, we have um, Abraham asks Isaac to carry his own wood. And, and God and is leading him up Mount Moriah. And in the same way, God is leading his son, Jesus, up 
the same mountain. Jesus, just as Isaac carried this wood, Jesus carried the cross on his shoulders. And God spares Abraham's son, but he slays his own son. John, at the very beginning of his ministry, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaac asks, where's the offering? And his father says, God will provide a lamb. He gives Abraham a ram because the lamb is still coming. The lamb is still coming and comes on this day where he brings up his cross and the sacrifice for our sin. The same mountain that Isaac walks up to build an altar is the same mountain David's servants walks up with wood to build a temple is the same mountain that Jesus ascends to build a cross. Next slide. Unknown years later, Mount Moriah, where Jesus was crucified, will be where he sits on the throne. In his second coming, the same mountain is where he'll establish his city, where he'll sit and rule his kingdom. Let's look at Revelations chapter 21, 2 to 5. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared for a bride adored for her husband. That's us, the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one, Jesus, seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. This very picture happens on Mount Moriah. And this very picture is what our church uh, has its eyes on. This is how, why we're named Renew Church. Because Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. This is why our symbol is a crown. Because we're waiting for Jesus to sit on the throne. Re restoring all of us. And restoring humanity. Now, again, I love Christmas. Because I get the luxury of stepping back. And seeing that even this moment wasn't in, in a vacuum. But it was part of God's larger story. That God, for thousands of years, made a promise to Abraham that was unbreakable because he swore upon himself. And that he creates a nation. And that he gives us all a savior. And on that same mountain, he comes back to rule and reign. When Zechariah creates a song, makes this prophecy, his child is a small part of it. In a huge story, he sees in some ways the insignificance of John, even though John was announced by an angel, even though John was to be kind of like that last hardcore Old Testament prophet, he sits in service to the king. His purpose is simply to announce the greatness of Jesus. 
And I believe that John's purpose is our purpose. Our purpose comes out of being tethered to this far larger story. It's not a purpose that we fabricate. It's not the purpose that our parents seed in us as a child. We stand, I hope, in awe of Mount Moriah and the way that God has unfolded history and how God will unfold his kingdom again. And we, like John, simply stand in service of that. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. Is our life about preparing a way for Jesus in the hearts of our friends and family? Is our life about preparing a way for his kingdom in, in our occupation, in our job, wanting his kingdom to come as we sit with people who are hurting and broken in therapy and saying that there's a way for God to heal you. Sitting with people who are sick in medicine and to ask for God's kingdom to come in the restoration of their bodies. Serving people in our business and saying, God, would our business enrich the people around us? That we prepare a way for the Lord and how we speak of him and how we point to him in our words and our actions. I got to sit with um, Jessica and ask her for permission. She was, we were asking this question, how can you prepare a way for the Lord? She became an art, art teacher in high school. And she's like, man, I, I can't share about Jesus explicitly. It's, it's against our school policy. But she also talked about being jaded by school and how the veteran teachers are just kind of telling her, just ignore the bad kids and teach for the good kids. Because every day she's getting worn out in teaching, even though she went into it to make an impact. And I said, uh, Jessica, you're making a way for the Lord by asking him to help you love each one of these kids. You're making a way for him by teaching them how, what art is. That when they see beauty, it's actually just a reflection of God. To show them what beauty looks like and why things that are not beautiful are not beautiful because they're the antithesis of God. That you're preparing a way for, for the Lord as you love him. It says to give his people the knowledge of salvation. This knowledge that we all hold, that Jesus dies for our sin and loves us. Because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I wonder if our story is attached to and aligned with the story of God. I wonder if we're living out kind of our own purpose, or if we're living out just a branch of what we desire, of what we want out of life. What drove us this year? Why did we wake up and go to work? What are our dreams for our kids? I hope that Mount Moriah would, would dwarf us as we look at the huge story of God and say, I want to participate in his story. Um, in our breakout groups, I have these simple questions. It says, when you think about your purpose in life and your story, is it informed and a part of God's story? And what are the competing storylines that are written in your life? You know, everyone has a story that they want to draw us into. 
Every social media influencer is saying, live for this. Do this and you'll be happy. If you live like this, your life will be complete. Have the perfect family, be famous, be ultra rich. But as Christians, we're saying that we're buying into and attaching our life to this other story. Like John did. How is God calling you to prepare the way for Jesus in the hearts of those around you this season? I hope that you don't, I hope that you find opportunities as you meet with your families and your friends to say that there's something so much bigger to Christmas than sharing a good meal and exchanging gifts. There's so much, something so much more rich in, in Christmas than decorating a tree and going to see lights. That it's about a king coming and shining light in darkness. Um, I was talking to Dr. Ken, and he was sharing about, him and Chrissy were sharing about at their house, they have a, every year they put up a Christmas tree. And at the end of Christmas, when the tree's kind of withering away, um, Dr. Ken will take it out to the yard, cut all the branches off, and make a cross to remind us that Christmas leads to the cross. Christmas leads to Calvary. The birth of Jesus leads to his death so that we can have life again. Today, as we take communion, I hope that that's what we'll remember. You could take out your communion cups. That Jesus came to earth as a part of God's huge story in redeeming us. And I hope that we'll spend our life proclaiming, heralding, letting other people know of this story. John came at just this really important moment of history, and he knew that it's about him being lesser and God being greater, him pointing to his disciples and saying, behold, the Lamb of God who is being slain. How do we prepare the hearts and minds of the people around us for this great, great king who is coming again and setting up a Mount Herod? This is his body broken for you. Let's take this in remembrance of our king. This is his blood shed for you. Let's take this in remembrance of our king. Jesus, we are awaiting the day where you set up your throne on the very space where you were crucified to reign as a good king in a beautiful kingdom. I pray that as we await for your coming again, that we would be like John, preparing the hearts, preparing the way for others to meet this Jesus and to find peace, the road of peace, peace in themselves, peace with the world around them, and most importantly, peace with you, Peace with you because you died for each one of our sins so that we can meet you and fall in love with you and be a part of your kingdom. We remember that today, and we pray that you would purpose our life towards it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church 
and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.